0: Hey everyone, welcome to Health Addicts. Before we get started though, remember, this show is for entertainment purposes only, meaning I'm not your doctor. So if you have questions about the information and content on this show, ask your doctor, okay? Otherwise, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Wait, how many carbs am I really supposed to be eating? How much sleep do I actually need? Am I supposed to be even taking vitamins? Guess I better listen to The Health Health Addict Addict Show. Welcome back, everybody, to The Health Addict Show. I'm your host, Tommy J. We actually have a pretty cool episode today. We're going to do our first health diary episode. And I know that sounds kind of strange, but I'm actually going to give you one of my favorite stories that I have in working in the health career. And it actually all starts to begin at this very small hospital. And I'm sure by now most of you know, I mean, ERs get so much different stuff that comes through there. Whether it's a trauma, or an overdose, or just an incomplete acute sickness that needs to be treated. But you get some pretty special characters that come through it. And you actually see them quite frequently if they continue to have their bad habits. And this one person seemed to have a pretty bad habit. So we got to meet him quite a bit. And he definitely caused a lot of commotion at this hospital. So... This gentleman was a very frequent flyer, meaning he came into the ER quite frequently. And he was a very well-known meth, cocaine, and alcoholic, and he always had some kind of problems with also his heart. It was kind of interesting, actually, because. Either you'd come in for the overdose issues or you'd always come in for heart complications. And understand this too, I mean, in the healthcare field, we're pretty unjudgmental. We've seen it all, we hear it all, we're just here to treat you. We don't care what drugs you've done, what you've been doing behind people's back, drinking, smoking, it doesn't matter to us. We just wanna know what you're doing so that we can actually treat you. Because we have a pretty big history on you already, just from your medical history, so we kinda understand what problems you do have, but if you start taking something you're not supposed to be taking, and we're looking at other symptoms to treat a certain illness, but it could be possibly because you started a medication you weren't supposed to be taking, or you took something that you weren't supposed to be doing, it might be better just to let us know that, because like I said, there's HIPAA to protect you. We're really not there to get you in trouble or call the police or tell your loved ones. We just wanna know how to treat you best. So just stay in that fact right now. It's a judgment-free zone. Now, understand this. This guy came in at least once a month for something. Whether it was drug-related overdose, alcohol intoxication, or anything that flared up his endocarditis, we really saw this guy quite Frequently, and he had a lot of other heart problems just besides endocarditis and the cardiomyopathy. But we always saw this character when he came into the ER, and it's always we already knew from the start that we weren't going to get a straight story from this guy. And when he came in, his first complaint was that he was having heart problems, and his EKG showed it. He obviously wasn't taking his medications like he was supposed to be taking. His blood pressure was all over the place. He had a fever. He was having aches and pains, which, again, we're not judging you. We're going to help treat you. We're going to help you get you better because we don't want you there as much as you don't want to be there. We want you healthy and out the door. But... He, we definitely knew something else was up. And, of course, we always run a tox screen on these kind of people. We want to know what they've been taking, if they're drinking. And, of course, he was drinking. His blood alcohol was 0. 0.4 at the time, which is pretty high if you don't know what your alcohol level is. And he also was on cocaine, meth, and he was also taking another benzo that we didn't know yet. But we definitely was taking a lot of stuff he wasn't supposed to be taking. And it took a while for him to sober up. He's very belligerent when he's drunk. And as a healthcare worker, it's not something you're very happy to deal with, but you know people are in bad situations and bad times. So you'll work through it as much as you can. A lot of people switch off going in and out of these kind of patients' rooms just to kind of give each other breaks. But he definitely is a pain in our butt, and it gets so much funnier after this. So eventually we get him to sober up. We're able to transfer him upstairs into a regular bed on the general care floor. And he's able to have room to himself, which is kind of what you want. You don't want this guy blaring and yelling and stuff and profanity around the hospital. It's just not what you want. It's not conducive to good care for a hospital. On this particular day, though, he, we, he's kind of being more quiet than he normally was. He's usually pretty loud and rambunctious, but he's starting to get a little bit more quiet. And he definitely had friends and family come visit him. And you have to understand... This guy's friends and family, it's mostly really just friends. He doesn't really have family that comes to visit him anymore. And the friends that do come and visit him have been known to be either drug dealers in the past or have been in other particular situations that you generally wouldn't want to be hanging around with them. So it kind of makes everyone... Sketchy, but we're like I said, we're not judgmental. We want people to visit you yeah, when you're in the hospital You're sick and you don't feel good So generally you really aren't going to be stopped unless there's something super dangerous about you coming into the facility So I'm about six hours into my shift this day and we get a rapid call to this patient's room And I already knew it was going to be a situation because anytime we get a rapid response into this guy's room Something is gonna happen whether he's acting out or he's being rambunctious. He needs security or usually he slips something he's not supposed to be taking. So I run into this room and I find this patient passed out. And mind you, he had a nurse, a nurse student, a nurse aide, and another nurse actually watching this patient. So we kind of knew what was going on in the room most of the time, but he did have just a few minutes by himself. So I begin my assessment. I start checking the patient's airways, breathing and circulation. He does have a heart rate. He's not really breathing well. He's obstructing, uptunded, um, only responding to deep sternal rubs, like when you rub on the chest real hard to kind of get in the stimuli to make sure that they're still feeling pain. And that's kind of the only way to arouse him at this point. And he definitely wasn't protecting his airway. Blood pressure was a little bit lower, too, I think I remember. And... We're kind of looking around, and of course, we get underneath the bed. And underneath this patient's bed is an entire empty bottle, a fifth, mind you, of Smirnoff vodka, and a pint of another whiskey. He had to drink a whole fifth and a pint in under probably 15 minutes. So he was belligerently drunk and at the point of where he wasn't protecting his airway anymore. And what happened was his friend snuck him in the alcohol... And he was being very rude and abrasive to the nursing staff and obviously we're not going to deal with you and give you time alone Until you calm down before we start taking care of you again But he did that on purpose just so he could drink this alcohol It oh my gosh, I can't believe how fast he drank that it's unbelievable because they're literally saying he drank it in less than 15 minutes just chugged and of course it does take time for alcohol to kind of kick in it's not instantaneous so he probably had drank it for a while but he, I guess he chugged the bottles though prior to this and just threw them underneath the bed. So unfortunately because he wasn't protecting his airway, his blood pressure was getting lower, and because of his other poor morbidities, we rapid sequence intubated him and had to take him to the ICU and oh my gosh was he not happy when he woke up. It was so funny. And generally with people like this we tie down actually because we know they're not going to listen to us Any kind of advice, especially medical advice we give to them, they're not going to listen. With the endotracheal tube, it's an airway. It's a line. We don't want them pulling it out, especially because there's a cuff, a balloon at the bottom of it to kind of create a closed system and it really tears up your vocal cords if you pull that out without it's deflating it plus he's got other iv lines he had a central line at this point um it just was a terrible situation where you don't want somebody kind of being rambunctious and pulling out lines i mean you have propofol which is a very high powerful sedative on we had fentanyl on for him a little bit too which is another very powerful pain medication he had some other pressers that we had on for his blood pressure he also had some antibiotics on at this point. Um, it's just something you don't want all these lines coming out at one time. Now, generally, when someone self-extubates or they pull that tube themselves, they use their hands. They kind of sit up a little bit. Usually, we watch them pretty good, and you can kind of catch somebody before they do that. But this guy was strapped down very tight, and he shouldn't have been able to get to his hands and pull that tube out. But the most nimble guy I've ever met, this guy used his feet to pull all the way up to his head and used his toes and feet to pull out this tube because he wanted it out that bad. Now generally someone that awake, we usually pull the tube anyway, pretty close to that point. There's some parameters and tests, you just want to make sure that their lung function's fine. But this guy did not give us even a chance. He woke up, used his feet, and just whipped that tube right out and started cussing. Of course, if you want to get everyone in your room real quick, that is probably the fastest way to do it next to coding because he had every single nurse, respiratory therapist, patient technician, and doctor in that room as quickly as possible and security and we had to reach strap back down he was fine otherwise but man was he not happy and it took a while to calm down and They actually had to even give him a just a smidge of set of just to kind of get him to the point where he's being more safe because you know once again he still has a ton of lines in him, especially that central line you do not want that coming out So now he's starting to calm down a little bit more after everything's settled. And once again, we're not trying to take anyone's rights away. It's not our job to be the judges and juries of this society. So we unstrap him. He seemed like he was being calm and collective. It wasn't going to pull anything out at this point. He understood. I mean, he knows he needs the lines to, to be treated. So we're kind of at this point now where he's being fine. He's not being rude and mean to any of the nurses. So we kind of had a settling point at this part. So understand this, this guy's heart is not good. We have something called the injection fraction. That's how much blood is actually being pumped out of the heart, usually about 60% where you want it. His probably was lower than 20. He also had a lot of inflammation. His valves were wearing out. So his heart wasn't good to begin with at this point. And over the years of abuse, it's getting worse. And now the patient's starting to realize that there's a lot of complications with what he has. And he kind of wants to talk to the doctor about what his options are. And the the attending was very nice to him and very proper. He told him there's many things we still can do as far as his treatment and making sure we can reduce the pain, inflammation, and swelling around his heart and do other things to kind of treat the other symptoms that come with it. But as far as a heart problem, the closest thing he would need would be a heart transplant. And because of his known drug addiction, alcohol abuse, and other choices, he just wouldn't be a good candidate for a heart transplant. He was being 100% honest with him. Of course he didn't take that very kindly when he heard that so that turned into another disagreement and he ended up kicking the doctor out and he was in his room by himself once again and this is where it gets funny again so now it's a little bit more in the afternoon it's probably close to about five or six at night and a gentleman comes in he wants to see our patient and of course, now that you're in the ICU, there's a little bit more stricter rules as far as visitations. You're only allowed to have so many people in the intensive care unit. Um, they don't want you bringing anything too loud or there's other objects you're just not allowed to bring. And there's something fishy about what this guy was carrying. Of course, we're not trying to be judgmental again. And uh, the person lets them in that's allowed to come into the intensive care unit. And he's walking towards his patient's room with a newspaper. But the newspaper was Huge, really tightly wrapped around something. And one of the nurses noticed it really quickly and said, Sir, what's in the newspaper? I guess the guy didn't think he was going to get questioned because this caused him to be jolted. And the all the needles this man had wrapped in the newspaper fell out of the newspaper. There had to be five or six needles and a bottle of drugs inside the newspaper. Now this guy has everyone's attention looking at him. And he just runs for the door. And what I mean run, he ran so hard into the door on the way out, he broke the door. I'm pretty sure he hit his face on it on the way out too. So, but he ran out the door and he was gone. Security couldn't even catch this guy. He was so fast and out the door. And of course, we had to talk with the patient about him bringing his drug dealers into the hospital. But it just shows you that some people just don't care about their health and they think they can do whatever they want. And it's just not conducive to good healthcare this way. And patients get mad at us when we have all these rules and when we ask things of you, but usually there's a good reason we have a rule for a lot of things we do inside the hospital. And definitely having your drug dealer come into there and try to distribute your medications and also the medicinal drugs that you have is probably not a good idea. But that's the story. I really don't know what happened to this guy after everything has happened. Um, he probably could have passed. He probably may have went to a different hospital just because once you become more of a frequent flyer, we're kind of understanding of what you're trying to actually get at, whether it's pain medications, whether maybe sometimes just a nice bed and some food. But... Once you kind of get on that list, you kind of have more trouble getting more of the care that you want. Just because we've kind of labeled you, even though we try not to label and judge, we just kind of know that more frequently than most, you're trying to get something out of it versus just actually treating your health care. But that's one of my interesting stories. Thank you all for listening to our first Health Diaries episode. If you have any questions or more about what actually happened let me know if there's something else you want to hear about. I can even tell you another story for our next one, but thanks for tuning in. Stay addicted to your health and I'll see you all next time.